welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome into Chit Chat Money. My name is Brett Schaefer, and I am joined by my co-host, Ryan Henderson. Today is our Tuesday not-so-deep-dive episode where we analyze one stock by covering its business model, ownership, financials, future growth opportunities, and much more. The not-so-deep-dive is a little bit in jest, uh, just because, as we all know, everyone calls stuff a deep-dive, but... This is supposed to be a first look at a company. We've been studying it for a week now, and we hope after listening to this episode, you get a better perspective on the company we are covering. It could inspire you to research further, and hopefully you learn a little bit. Before we get started, I will say we're going to discuss some probably some charts, some graphics, and we'll have our show notes. If you want to read them, get access to the sources that we're using, which are just free links and for stuff you want to read more, subscribe to the free newsletter. We'll put in a lot of charts with their financials, all that good stuff if you want to learn about this company. And today, if you didn't read the title, because I don't think, usually when I say this, I, I like to think about it as uh, revealing what company we're discussing, but it's right in the title. And we're discussing Dollarama, a underfollowed company in Canada that runs a similar model to Dollar Tree in the United States, but with a little bit of a twist. And they've actually crushed Dollar Tree stock and Dollar General stock since going public. So I think that's a little teaser. I'm going to toss it over to Ryan. Ryan, what does Dollar Rama do? And I think it's Ama. I think it's Dollar Rama. That's what I've heard. Dollar Rama. Oh, I think so. Yeah, but I guess. I'm really not sure. <laughs> I don't know um, how the Canadians pronounce it, but dollar yeah. MA. The no, yeah. it's very cliche. The uh but to put some context behind the numbers, yeah. Uh, Dollarama, as I'm gonna mention here in a little bit, went public in 2009. They are a 15 bagger over the last 14 years in that time. And it's been really like just steady growth and performance out of the business. But let's talk about what they are first. Dollarama is the largest discount retailer in Canada, the largest dollar store chain in Canada. And like a lot of the other discount retailers we've looked at this month, the initial Dollarama concept was that they sold everything in the store for a dollar or less. That was you know, kind of the dollar store ideology and, and really how all these were founded. But today, they're simply a multi-price discount retailer. Obviously, with inflation, it would have been a lot pretty difficult for these dollar stores all all yeah. across North America to maintain the dollar store concept. So it's very if, interesting how that happens, where it's it, all these companies had to face the same thing. And it, it seemed like one of those slow moving, as we've kind of described in other ways, a lot of people describe like stuff and happening in the in the finance world and stuff as a slow moving train wreck. It seems like that was like a slow moving thing that was always hovering over these companies. And they were so afraid to break it. But maybe to not spoil you, they they weren't really afraid. They kind of went uh full bore into into separating themselves from the dollar price. Yeah, I think most people kind of understand that 
if they maintain a dollar or less for all their merchandise, the mer- quality of the merchandise is going to come down over time. Uh, but in terms of the SKUs, the merchandise that are in the stores, they're probably most similar to of the companies we've discussed this month, Dollar Tree. So to kind of revisit here, Dollar General and Family Dollar were both very, I guess we could say, kind of rural concepts that cater to smaller towns and they were very consumables focused. So 70 to 80% of their revenue was consumables. Basically, there was more food, more refrigerated goods, um, more toilet paper, stuff like that. It was a store where people went there to get stuff they needed. Dollar Tree and Dollarama is more so kind of your treasure hunt style shopping experience where majority of the items are general merchandise, things like office supplies, arts and crafts, stationery, household items, seasonal items. So like holiday decor, that kind of thing. And only 40% in this case is really consumable. So kind of your your toilet paper, anything you're you're really using, or even groceries in, in some cases. But so that's that's really the Dollarama focus. It's general merchandise giving providing creative items that people can really it's hard for them to find anywhere else. And they can sell them for what seems like cheap, but they're sourcing them for a lot cheaper. Uh, 53% of their items come from overseas. They have direct relationships with a lot of the suppliers, mostly China. That is their largest sourcing market. But the remainder, 47%, comes from North America. And today they operate 1,525 stores across all parts of Canada. You know, we talked about Dollar Tree, Dollar General, Family Dollar. They all had kind of this focus on the, the towns they were looking for. Dollarama seems to be pretty agnostic to it. Their stores average about 10,000 square feet, which is kind of in line with a lot of the other dollar stores, but they've had success in both cities as well as more mid-sized towns and even small towns all throughout Canada. Um, I guess other relevant things for Dollarama, they use third parties for all of their distribution. um, So they don't have like their own truck fleet or anything like that. They do have a number of warehouses and distribution centers that they use for sourcing goods and bringing them to the distribution centers. But like I said, it goes through third parties. And then they also have a 50.1% stake in the parent company of Dollar City. Dollar City, they they kind of initiated this partnership in, I believe, 2013, but they finalized or took the majority stake in the last couple of years. And Dollar City is a discount retailer that's very similar to Dollarama, but operates stores in El Salvador, Guatemala, Colombia, and Peru. They have, while it's not as big as Dollarama, it's it's like a decent sized store base. So 458 stores across its markets. They have plans to expand into other Latin American markets and they are growing pretty quickly. So uh, it's certainly a part of the business that's worth keeping track of. When we talk about the history, Dollarama has really been a family business. Their roots date back all the way to 1910 when Salim Rossi, I think it's Rassi at the time, he was a Lebanese immigrant, opened a dollar store in Montreal. Over the following 60 years, the family, the Rossi family, which they eventually changed their name, grew the business to 20 locations. So by 1973, they had 20 locations. Not that big, but it's you know it's a family business, and they just continue to pass the leadership baton down to their kids. So 
Uh, first, it was Salim Rossi. I can't remember the second Rossi that took over. And then by the 70s, Larry Rossi ended up taking over as CEO. And in 1992, so that's the grandson of the founder, they had 44 locations by 1992, all considered Rossi Inc. stores. So that was the name. And then I don't know what inspired it, but they were like, I'm going to just Larry Rossi decided he's going to open a Dollarama banner and it was far more successful. It's funny to think that Larry Rossi's dad and his grandfather could have just rebranded to something with the name Dollar in it and probably had much more success. Not that they didn't have some success, but Dollarama was instantly a much bigger hit than their previous Rossi stores. Um, within just five years, Dollarama became the major revenue driver for the family. So they decided to either close or rebrand all the existing Rossi stores into Dollarama locations. And then after seeing the success of this new concept, Bain Capital acquired 80% of the company in 2004 for $850 million. And that really helped supercharge store growth. So they that was kind of from 2004 really once the dollarama name came in they started to grow stores that in that influx of capital from bank bain capital really superpowered it and then in 2009 they ipo'd and that same year they quote unquote broke the buck they don't use that terminology but they just moved to multi price points um it's really been kind of a straightforward history there haven't been that many big bumps in the road They've continued the steady expansion. It's been positive comp store sales. I think Canadian population has grown. So it, they've grown with it. They've constantly said, all right, we're going to target a thousand stores. They got to a thousand stores. They moved the needle, but they said, we're going to target 1400 stores. They got to 1400 and now they're targeting 2000 stores by I think 2031. So they've continued to push the envelope in terms of store count. They have 85% of the Canadian population lives within 10 kilometers of a dollar city now. So they've done a really good job expanding over the years. And the I'll talk about it in the earnings section, but the stores have gotten more efficient as well. Yeah. So it's a great intro. A few follow-ups I'm going to try to remember uh, as you were going along there. One, as listeners probably will notice, same store sales are very important for them. Going forward, we'll, we'll discuss that because I read an article, I think from 2014, where analysts were worried about store saturation. So we don't really know how many stores they can get to. And it's very important because I don't think they do either. They were talking about at one point, it's one of the Rossies was saying, hey, we don't know what our store saturation is. When we get there, we'll probably pare back a little bit and maybe not reinvest so much for growth. But we don't we know as much as you guys about that since it's a, a new concept in Canada. They're a very unique model. Uh, second, with Dollar City, I believe they said they have a goal of hitting around a thousand stores. So they're investing a lot into that. And then uh, third, when Ryan mentioned the direct merchandising model, that is something that is very important as well. They are cutting out some of the middlemen there and it's pretty simple. When you cut out one of the middlemen, you can sell things for cheaper and earn the same margin as other people or sell at the same price as other people and earn a better margin or yeah, better margin, which as we'll get into in the earnings, they do. I don't know if that's a competitive advantage, but they've just been a lot smarter on that. And given their scale, they probably have a competitive advantage now because 
right? Just the economies of scale with with negotiating with suppliers there. Yeah, and not just suppliers, but distributors. Um, they, they they talked about getting some signing a new deal with their one of their major trucking companies that they work with, and uh, it, it's been accretive to margins as well. Yep. Okay. Now let me hit industry and competition. It was a little bit of a teaser there. Well, we don't really know the addressable market, but I think I want to I want to try to put in some what would I say? Just kind of important facts that I think make for anyone that isn't in Canada, I know only a small percentage of our listeners are from there. But if we look at the discount retail or dollar store concept, you know, excluding the mass market ones like a Walmart, the landscape is much cleaner than the United States and comes out looking much more promising for Dollarama. First, I would note that Canada has a great population tailwind. Current population is at just under 40 million and expected to steadily grow. Immigration tailwinds look really nice for them too. There's a chart below uh, just taken from like populationpyramid.com of their projection of what their population will be. And it's going to steadily grow this century. And I think that might be even underrating it because there is a huge influx of immigrants hitting that country. Here's a quote, I believe from, it was some news article, I forgot the link, but it says, Canada's population grew by over a million people for the first time ever last year. Uh, And that's a record. And I believe that was in 2022. It could have been 2021. So really nice tailwind there, uh, you know, with such a broad-based concept that is appealing to lower income shoppers and higher income shoppers. It is very nice if the overall population in Vancouver area, in the Quebec area, in uh, Montreal and stuff like that are growing. Now, another important note is that Dollarama has no scaled competitor in the country. Here's a quote from an article. Dollarama doesn't face the same competitive pressures as Dollar General or Dollar Tree. Its 50% market share among general discount stores in Canada is more than twice what Dollar General and Dollar Tree together have in the U.S. And Dollarama's $4.5 billion in annual revenue exceeds that of its next 10 largest competitors combined. That's old, so the, the revenue number is not the same as it is now, and Ryan will get to that during the earnings. And then I would also mention here, two things. They want to hit 2,000 stores by around 2030. So as Ryan mentioned, we're not getting very, we're not, they're going to steadily grow their store count, but they're not crazy aggressive growing their store count. And then one other thing, I think Dollar Tree Canada, something to keep an eye on. They said they're investing in that. They have a presence there. If they start investing a lot in that market, as we talked about on the Dollar Tree episode, they got our new CEO that really did well at Dollar General and said they want to open up a lot of stores once they get their family dollar and Dollar Tree concept, right? So that's something to watch, I think. Keep an eye on if you really like this stock. From a discussion question standpoint, I think this looks like a very ideal industry environment or sector environment at the moment. You have growing consumer demand, minimal competition, and greenfield growth opportunities for growing your store base. Ryan, do you agree or disagree? Any problems you see with the industry here? No, I, I totally agree. I mean, they're they're way larger than any dollar store peers in Canada. They have a lot of brand notoriety. I mean, they do very little marketing and they drive tons of traffic to their stores because I think they've just got locations where people have recognized the dollar M name now in Canada. Um, it honestly surprises me that more people don't 
talk about Dollarama as an investment. Like I hadn't heard about it until actually one of the friends, one of our friends of the show, Edward Chang, kind of mentioned it to me in in our direct messages. And it's been a compounder. It's been the leader in discount retailing in Canada. And I don't see anyone talking about it. It's like perfect environment too. Yeah, it's quite interesting. And I wish, well, I guess we weren't investing back then, but you could have got it for a EV to EBIT in kind of the 2012, 2014 time period below 14, which seems quite attractive, but we'll get to more of our opinions, I think, later in the episode. Let me hit management and ownership. Today, the company is held by Neil Rossi. He's been the CEO since 2016, CMO, which is Chief Merchandising Officer, a very important role at the company since 2010. And he has been with the company since 1992. Uh, And he's 53 years old. So really, he just probably hopped out of college and joined the family business. He is the son of the founder of Dollarama. But as Ryan mentioned, it's kind of a weird, it's sort of the founder, sort of not. It's the founder of the new concept, but it's still fourth generation uh, Rossi retail leader. Um, my thinking here is they seem to have, because you always worry about the family businesses, right? We've all watched Succession and stuff like that. As Rossi here is 53, he's got a good track record so far. Do you think the kind of nepotism risk has been de-risked here, at least for the next decade or so, as he's kind of young in his prime here as kind of 50 in his 50s and 60s for leading a business. Yeah, we probably should have looked whether or not he has kids. And That's true. <laughs> whether That's or not true. they're in the retail business. I mean, yeah. they've, they've passed it down from Rossi to Rossi over the years. I think because he's relatively young, I'd be curious what maybe previous CEOs, what age they've retired at. but. Yeah, he's probably going to run it for a while. And he's done a good job. I mean, he's done a fantastic job since he came in in what, what did you say, 2015? 2016 as CEO, but he was chief merchandising officer since 2010. So been a leader for a while. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, don't, I don't really have any management concerns. Yeah. they. Uh, I will note, we do mention the ownership. He owns 3% of the company. I had trouble since this is a Canadian business finding in their proxy statement, they didn't list any major shareholders. And to be honest for this episode, I, I thought that was a, just a fine number to have there. I I don't know. I tried to look a little bit, but the, the, that confused me. Maybe it's on Sadar or maybe it's on somewhere else, but I couldn't find it. Either way, the only concerning thing from a proxy statement perspective was that the Rossi family owns warehouses that are leased to the company. Uh, I'll have the full quote for the numbers here. It's not a giant amount, but do you think this is a red flag? Uh, maybe we can talk about that in our highlights and lowlights, but I, let's just hit it now. What do you think about that? Yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, it's on my lowlights. Uh, that was probably one of the only things I really listed here. It seems unnecessary. You read that and maybe... Like maybe the Rossi family, they just own a bunch of real estate and they were giving their own company like really good deals, but we're not privy to that information. So what does it look like to investors? It looks like the Rossi family is self-dealing. They owned these warehouses and instead of leasing them through someone else, they've made the company lease them through their own family. That seems like self-dealing to me. 
Yeah, it was the big concern for me. It's not the end of the world, but the question I had is, well, we kind of already answered this. Are we annoyed that the Rossi family gets paid so much and also they get decent, you know, an executive comp here? I would like not to be so aggressive given it's the family business. You already have skin in the game here. Uh, I would say, you know, are we annoyed about that when they already have so much skin in the game? And I also would ask, given the two probably best proxy statements or the best, how would I describe it? Uh, governance companies would be Berkshire Hathaway and Costco. Would they do this? I don't think so. There is some related party stuff on Berkshire. Yeah, there was back in the day. <laughs> back in the day, that was a complicated Some on the board. Day, yeah, yeah, that, that type of stuff. But I, I don't think uh, Buffett would be paying himself, especially whatever. That's a discussion for another day. How much are they so getting paid? Sorry. Um, if we look at, let's see, here's the quote. As January 29th, 2023, the outstanding balance of lease liabilities owed to entities controlled by the Rossi family totaled $26.7 million. So not, not too much for them, but still. If they don't need it, the company doesn't need it. They can go somewhere else. If anything, give it to them for free. Give yourself a competitive advantage there. Okay, let's talk about the executive compensation. They use a compensation consultant, so you will be unsurprised to hear that they have base salaries, annual bonuses, and long-term equity grants. Annual bonuses seem solid uh, based on EBITDA growth. If you look at the 2023 target, it was 8%. And then same-store sales growth, the 2023 target was 5%. And then real estate growth of 65 new stores, net new stores. I think those are good. I provided the full graphic in the newsletter and they always have those tables and I'm not going to read off everything about if they hit the certain percentage of whatever and then they get the 100% of their base salary, stuff like that. You can go read that if you want, but I think seeing what they're targeting is the most important thing. And I like that you have the combination of EBITDA, same store sales and real estate growth. And that's a good balance there. And then if you look at their long-term performance stock units, it is earnings per share targets. I think that is fine as well. Not perfect, but I don't think for a business that's going to reinvest a lot into capital expenditures, I don't think free cash flow per share is the ultimate metric here. I would maybe like not EBITDA, maybe EBIT would be better, but not, not the worst proxy I've ever seen. Okay. Chit Chat Money is brought to you by Interactive Brokers, but we like to call them by their ticker symbol, IBKR. Designed for active traders and sophisticated investors, Interactive Brokers offers trading assets in 150 markets with 27 different currencies, charges USD margin loan rates from 5.83% to 6.83%, rated the lowest among margin fees, the ability to trade stocks, bonds, options, futures, commodities, and more, with high interest rates paid on instantly available cash balances, and the ability to lend your eligible stock shares to earn passive income, all on one single unified platform. Restrictions may apply. For more information, visit ibkr.com, member SIPC. Open an account with IBKR today. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's hit earnings. Ryan, we said this is a very well-run business, really great margins, really great numbers. So what are they? What do they look like? Yeah, I'll talk just what's happened over the last decade. And then we can talk about how it's been heating up over the last quarter or so. But total revenue over the last 10 years has grown at an 11% CAGR or compounded annual growth rate. Part of that has been from store growth. So stores have gone from 785 locations to 1,525 locations. That's just over a 6% CAGR. And then comp store sales have grown at 6.3% on average. However, it's really shot up in the last 12 months. And so if you exclude that, it, it comes down a bit more in like the five and a half percent range. Um, but so really great top line numbers over a decade. Operating margins in this time have gone from 17% to 23%. And it has been very steady, it, like just this gradual growth in operating margins over the years. Shares outstanding have declined by 33% in the last 10 years. So they've been just plowing a lot of that cash flow into, into buybacks, which combining all those things, you've gotten 19%, almost 20% annual earnings per share growth. Pretty damn impressive. I almost, I'm not, I'm not accusing them, but it is almost so smooth and such like steady growth that I'm like, I get a little like I speculate a little bit like a little on a little how has operating margin consistently grown that much every year like what what are you doing yeah no no you have the back of your mind is saying is you have a little bit of concern that any company that's so consistent is are they under armor can't prove it right but there's a risk of that with everyone I I don't think it's the case but Right, right. Yeah. And there's such a popular concept. There's all these people that are treasure hunting around them, you know, for the unique Dollarama items. Uh, the, the, I wouldn't even call them cost, con- cost conscious, but the deal kind of people, right? Kind of the same thing that goes on at Costco, but with a different concept. I will say one concern a little bit given, did you mention the recent quarter comp sales and given the margin expansion? Margins shot up. And comp sales were record high, I think. It was up 15.5% year over year in the most recent quarter. Yeah. Stock so, has reacted. I'd be worried that they're over-earning a little bit in the short term. I would be worried. That's yeah. very good performance. I'd be worried. If it comes back to earth, yeah, yeah. I'm just worried about that. Yeah, and trying to go through what's worked well, part of it, management says is people are trading down. There's been a big inflationary environment in Canada for the last really two years, I think similar kind of to the US. And people have been pinched, they're trading down and they're choosing to come to Dollarama locations. The other part is they've introduced the $5 price point. So they've been without like directly raising prices, they've been raising prices. So uh, or raising kind of the average ticket that you get out of customers. So I do worry. I think they're go- that's going to be sustainable, but they don't give out like next year's comp sales. Someone even asked, like, do you think you're going to have a bad year next year? And they're like, we have no clue. 
I like that. I like that. That's similar to here's what their management reminds me of. And it's not a family run business. It reminds me a bit of AutoZone, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. I th- yeah, I think it's a fair comparison. The uh I don't know. There really isn't a whole lot to report in terms of like this they are having stellar basically blowout earnings right now the prob they are probably over earning on the margin side but comps could go up next year and i wouldn't be surprised like they could still have positive comps they've had positive comps for a decade and to, and you know they asked a question on the conference call they're like you know in 2008 and 2009 you guys saw 7 or 8% comps is this environment like that and they said no it's nothing like it at all he said it's, we're a different business. Uh, it's different problems for the consumers. Uh, well, it's inflationary versus deflationary. Come on, analysts. Let's get get on your game. Is it a deflationary <laughs> bust versus a inflationary issue? Whatever. Uh, do you want to hit the balance sheet? Yeah, sure. Let's go through it. I thought the balance sheet looked really good. It's kind of interesting to look at the evolution of how they've run the business because from 2014 to 2019, they really pushed the leverage. They went from, I think it was 0.7 times their leverage ratio, which let's just call it net debt to EBITDA, 0.7 times to 3.1 times in 2016. Since 2016, they've basically kept it at between three, two and three times. So the debt is all senior unsecured notes fixed rate so it's 2.2 billion dollars in total debt for reference they have they earn a billion dollars in ebitda the last 12 months they've earned a billion dollars in ebitda and they have 250 million in cash the debt is mostly due after 2025 and it has a weighted average interest rate of 3.3% so they've done a really good job raising debt they've actually been accumulating a little bit of cash um relative to the end of last year. Right now, we're going to talk about valuation here in a second. You could make the case that they could they should just accumulate cash and buy some treasuries. Would you would you agree there? Yeah. Yeah. Inter- yeah. I, I, the valuation has run up. They've been at a fairly premium valuation for a while, I think since 2016. Um, I would just check out a chart and there's a lot of sources that have it. They've been around 20, it's dipped around, dipped below 20 a couple times, but yeah, I think buying back is okay. Maybe, maybe just pause the buyback. It's, it's hard to tell. It's, it's really hard to tell, but, but I would also mention the EV to EBIT doesn't look crazy versus the historical average as a spoiler for valuation. It's at like 21, but again, like we mentioned, the margins are very, very high. We don't know if that's sustainable. Yeah, I just think like, let's say you got like a 4% EBIT yield. So you're generating 4% of your market cap in earnings before your interest in taxes every year. I would think now it's kind of a, a tough balance because you don't just want to stop the buyback. but. I would think allocating a little more money to treasuries when you can get five, five and a half percent is not a bad way to go right now. Cause and I I've put that out there before and gotten flack for it, but we've seen Visa do it right now. They're they're still buying back, but they're moving a little more of their mix to treasuries. And I think businesses that have that 
that constantly trade at a premium, I don't think it's a bad approach. I, I guess as far as the rest of the balance sheet goes, they lease all their locations, so no real estate value. Um, maybe there were whether you want to count operating leases as debt or not. That's uh, endless debate that people can have, but make your own choice there. Yeah, and it's an interesting. Maybe we should have talked about the operating leases a little bit. I think they tend to do ten-year leases. Um, does the real estate environment in Canada is that something people should pay attention to? Because if people have to, if the landowners have to refi, and it's at elevated rates, which this is part of the this is one of the things about investing in Canada versus the U.S. is I don't really understand that side of the market. I know in the mortgage market, it's very different than the US. So if it's anything like that, maybe there's a chance that they're going to have to see increased costs in their their lease uh, obligations. Yeah, it's kind of speculative. Heard, uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of smart people that we know tell us that there's a Canadian housing bubble, but hey, hands up, I don't really know. Um, anything else? No, let's go through anything valuation you have. I mean, valuation, all I took was enterprise value, which added back a little bit of the debt. We're at about $28.7 billion, uh, and this is Canadian dollars. And then if we're looking at trailing 12-month operating income or EBIT, we're at about $1.3 billion in, EV, or, uh, in Canadian dollars again. So we're at an EV to operating income of 21.6. If we kind of look at our friends at Chart, we're right at around the same number there. And yeah, I think that's a very interesting number for them because I don't know whether that's cheap or expensive, which we maybe we'll get to later. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, all right, anecdotal Evans, Ryan. Well, nothing really store-wise because yeah, I'm not Canadian. I've never seen any of their locations. I haven't been to El Salvador, Peru, Colombia, or what's the other one? I can't remember the other one. Guatemala, I think. Uh, haven't seen any Dollar City locations, but just in general, kind of my gut feel about the company and the management team is I think they care about the long term. You can see that in the fact that the current CEO is the great grandson of sort of the founder, and they've kind of passed this down from family to family. The other part is I like the way they speak and they, they just seem candid and it, they're not trying to optimize in the short term at all. So someone on the recent conference call asked about they were, they were like, well, what's the target for percentage of merchandise that'll be at the $5 price point, which just for the record, they're just trying to fill in their model, which the management team hated. They really, <laughs> they sarcastically responded to all the questions where it felt like the analyst was just trying to fill in their model. But he said, there's no target just to clarify the situation. There never was a target and there won't be a target with regards to how many SKUs are in any given price point. It's fluid and it really is dependent on the offering. So if the next six months produces a fantastic, let's say offering of $2 or $2.50 items, then that's the price point range that will grow. They are just looking for probably 
the most creative items that are going to get people in the store, but also that they're kind of agnostic to the price just as long as they're generating a decent uh, markup. Yeah. Yeah. And people, you know, might be concerned that it's a family business. Talk about the nepotism here. It's, but I'd rather have this than a Harvard McKinsey. Uh, don't maybe blow hard's the wrong term, but the one that just repeats the same stuff that we see from all the mercenary CEOs. So my actual evidence, never been a concept. We live in the United States. I do have from our Colum- the Colombian correspondent and investor friend we have, I asked about it uh, because he lives in an area that has them. And he said, I just asked if he's ever heard of it. He said, my wife shops there all the time, grew like a weed during the pandemic, grabbed a bunch of cheap mall leases that seemed to be working out okay. Product quality is pretty good with the price point. Only complaint for the shoppers is a lot of merchandise is clearly from Canada, labeled in French slash English and often stuff that makes no sense, like spring garden stuff, even though we have no seasons here. So probably some ways to improve there. They do yeah. try to share best practice. Like they talked about the partnership originally was Dollarama trying to share best practices with Dollar City. Maybe less. Maybe you need to some share of them less don't all work so well. <laughs> yeah. So maybe there's opportunity to grow and with Dollar City and improve that model. But it seems like it's fairly popular, and I believe the cost of the new stores there is very cheap. Like you're gonna need a lot more store count to to get there. But yeah. All right. Future growth opportunities. Kind of hard here, but you have the big one, which is Dollar City, and we all know about just growing stores. So maybe, what are your thoughts on Dollar City? I, yeah, it's kind of hard to say because I know very little about the markets, but I imagine they're a lot further away from market saturation than Dollarama's Canadian business. So right now, they're added or at least in the most recent quarter, they added 10 new locations to Dollar City. For reference, that's on a, I think it was a 440 store base, location store base. So annualize that, they're growing at almost 10% store count. That's pretty fast. Um, I like the growth of most of those markets, I would think. Um, Latin America generally, I think is something I'm probably a little more optimistic about than some other investors. And so uh, I would think that using the direct relationships they have with suppliers in overseas markets to better help a dollar store business in Latin America should work. And it should be a bit of an advantage relative to a lot of the mom and pop players in those markets. Yeah, and the one thing you get concerned about when investing in these countries is you is you don't have boots on the ground. But I think the good thing about dollar store concepts or you know Dollarama is unique. It's got a, its own niches, and I'm sure Dollar City has copied a lot of that, and they have their own niche as well. But I think ev- almost every market in the world that has some sort of level of income would benefit from a dollar store, and there will be demand for that. So I'm not concerned about hey, they're just going after this market for international expansion and it's not going to work. I think it works in the vast majority of markets around the world. All right, mine is going to be, you know, it's it's very hard to pinpoint outside of new store growth. I I don't want to just say new store growth, but I want to reiterate an important point, which is the growth of the Canadian population, which is outpacing a lot of other markets, as well as the minimal competition. 
Um, I think that helps with the reinvestment runway in Canada. It will help with same-store sales growth, but those are very important numbers to consider given the valuation, which let's lead into the highlights and the lowlights before we close out here. Ryan, what'd you like, dislike about this business? I like the management team. I, I, I like the way they talk to investors. I like the way they scoff at dumb questions, not to be mean to the analysts, but there were a couple of times where the analysts asked very specific stuff that it's like, listen, I'm filling out my model. And management team was like, there was one question where they said, uh, it's like, what are comps going to look like last year? And one of the managers was like, unfortunately, I can't see into the future, but if I had to guess, uh, and it was just kind of like the sarcastic response, but I like the way they shut those down and talk about how it's, listen, we don't know everything that's going to happen. We're going to manage the business the best we can. And we're going to make decisions that help customers, you know, help drive traffic and help the stores and whatever they think is best for the business long-term. And that's what they've done. The other part, um, they seem to have a strong brand in Canada. They've had a really good balance of store growth and positive comp sales. The other thing that I like, I love when management teams say, I think we're going to hit a thousand stores and then they hit it and they just raise their guidance. They say, I think we're going to hit 1400. They keep expanding it. I definitely prefer that approach over, oh, there's an endless possibility of the stores we can have. They don't, I would have, you think there's like market saturation here because 85% of the population lives within 10 kilometers, but they keep adding new stores. I think they might be underestimating their the number of stores they could have in Canada. Because it seems like they're still profitable on their new store bases. So yeah, 40 million population versus what 300 something million in the US. You kind of think how many dollar stores there are around here. We looked at Dollar Tree, Dollar General, what we got tens of thousands of stores. It's not the same exact concept, but yeah, there could be room for a lot more. Yeah, I just think there's a lot of tailwinds. Uh low lights for me. Get rid of the related party transactions. I don't think you need them. And uh, they might be over earning, which yeah. could could actually be kind of a big low light. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my thing, yeah, management's rock solid. I like them. Minimal competition, obviously you like that as well. And then the unique position they put themselves in, kind of similar to a five below where they keep big box competition permanently insulated. Or I worry a little bit about e-commerce because I think, over the long term, maybe it's hard, you know, with the the smaller price points, it's hard for e-commerce. But I think maybe over the long term, it's fine. But they are a good counterweight to the grocery run, the big box retailer, and they're competing less with them than a family dollar or a dollar general does, which is nice. And that's given really the consumables mix and stuff like that, which I think is a little bit more of an attractive business if you do it well. Low lights, related party transactions. And then I worry a bit. Well. Ryan mentioned it might be bigger than we think, but I think the reinvestment runway in Canada is uncertain. Don't really know. Um, all right. Bull case. Which one Ryan, you're paying, you think? which one you're paying potentially 20 times is a big deal, right? So it's like, yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, it's a positive in that they've continuously outperformed their expectations, but it's not really a positive when you're potentially paying a pretty hefty multiple. Bull case was kind of, I forgot to do my math here, but they target 2000 stores by 2031. That's a 25% increase over eight years. So 
really, we should not expect really steep store growth, especially at least in Canada. We can talk about Dollar City as kind of a different case. Um, but that I put here the assumption 3% store growth, 6% comp sales, which is maybe a little high, but this is the bull case. Operating margins stay flat. So 23% that it was a little higher this quarter, but it'll let's, so I guess you could say it comes down, but 23% operating margins and they reduce share count by 3% annually. I didn't finish the math, but you're looking at probably 15 to 20% earnings per share growth, maybe 10 to 15, somewhere in there. So mid teens, I would think if you're paying 20 times, 21 times EBIT and you're getting 15% EPS growth, this is probably going to be an above market or double digit return. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I say the same thing. EV to operating income above 20, I think you need to expect strong comp sales, uh, strong store count, and margins stable. Now, comp sales and margins are related, we all know, but stock probably does well. Bear case, I'll maybe hit mine. I think my two big concerns, margin compression and low ROS, low return on invested capital in Latin America. And that's that's mine. Yeah, that's maybe a concern for me is like, I don't really know Dollar City very well. They don't give that much color about it in their annual reports, and it's potentially a growing part of the thesis here. So maybe that's part of the bear case. I would think margin per compression or maybe just they're closer to saturation, that store stores grow at 2% annually instead of the 4 or 5% they've had over the last year. So or last decade, it. I think it's still limited. But if you get margin compression, you're probably gonna get a really kind of meager return. Which, yeah. I don't know. They also have the tailwinds at their back. As long as the population continues to grow, it's gonna help. Yeah, for sure. All right, more or less interested, Ryan. As we close up, more interested. Uh, just really solid business, well run. Not a monopoly, but kind of feels like a category leader at least. The dominant do, leader. Yeah, I do worry that like, can a Dollar Tree just really put a lot more investment into Canada? That's what I. Yeah, I worry about that as well. Yeah, and underprice them. Yeah, I worry about the margins. That's my biggest biggest concern. Maybe there's like a different merchandise or a different selection that's required in Canada, potentially. That Maybe. Only Dollarama yeah. knows the. They do like uh, the nat, like the they sometimes consumers prefer the local competitor versus the U.S. kind of. Yeah. yeah, I, I, I don't want to call things a compounder because I think it's a cop out to just say, "Oh, this business has done well; it'll keep doing well," but. I think you could have said at any point in probably the last five years, they're close to store saturation. How much can comp sales really grow by? Are they going to be able to expand margins? And they've consistently done that. Gross margins have been in the mid 40s for 10 years. I think they're going to be able to keep commanding high gross margins. I think there's a lot to like here. Yeah. I'm more interested. I like I don't like retail concepts as much. I like a discount, so I'd rather have a discount with retail, but I'm definitely more interested in something, something to keep on the watch list. All right. Next Doesn't it week, surprise doing... you oh. that like, 
people love the Canadian growth businesses, but eh, no one maybe. no one talks about this one. Yeah, it's less less talked about for sure. All right, next week we're doing an Arch Capital episode. Believe it's going to be on Silicon Motion, but we've discussed audibling it. Uh, we're not sure yet. Maybe it'll be a surprise. Maybe it won't be some sort of Arch Capital episode. It'll be a fun one. Let's hit the disclosure. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Subscribe to the newsletter. Link is in the show notes to get all our notes, graphics, and sources for this episode. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you next time.